everybody listening to Sit Down with Stand-Ups. I'm Ari Azizian, and my guest today is a very talented magician. He stars in the TV show Magic Outlaws on the Travel Channel, and he's the only person in history to be named the resident magician at the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. I'm here with the very funny Ben Seidman. Hey, everyone. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for doing this. The weather is horrible outside, so Absolutely. thank you so much for seeing me. Yeah, dude, totally. Yeah, we're recording in Antarctica, so it's like pretty <laughs> snowy, but you made it. Um, you're a great magician, and but you're also a really good stand-up, too. Thanks, I was man. wondering, like, what came first, your love of magic or comedy? Oh, man, I've always loved comedy, but magic definitely came first. Like, I was doing magic tricks when I was a little kid, around, like, six. I was terrible, but I was doing it. And then, um, and then Had, it like, was a little a, kit. Like, yeah, exactly. One of those magic boxes. Oh, totally. A bunch of magic boxes, like the cups and balls, which I never nice. really... Yeah, <laughs> like, I never... I never... I was always interested in like that classic stuff. It just like magic early on just was cool to me. So I, I never learned um, like a lot of the box tricks, but it was the sleight of hand that I was really interested in. A lot of like cards and... Totally. Card tricks, coin tricks, things like that. And then maybe when I was in like college, that's when I started getting into stand-up and like enjoying listening to it and starting to follow stand-ups. And I always liked... My favorite magicians were all funny. Like my favorite. Who are some of your favorite? Like, like early on, well, so there's a guy named Ricky Jay who's Ricky Jay, he's okay. also an actor uh, and a brilliant magician and sleight of hand artist, and no one would identify him as a comedy magician because mm-hmm. um, he's kind of a serious person in real life, from what I understand. But his show, um, his he did a show called Ricky Jay and His Fifty Two Assistants, <laughs> and it aired on HBO. And I saw it, and even though he's not a comedy magician, he was very funny and very clever. And so that, and then Penn and Teller. Oh yeah, guys like that. I saw when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, that's what, that's what good magic is. Because not only is the magic super strong, they're also really funny. The jokes are original. Right. They're personable. They're they've got like interesting personalities it's the type of person that you're like i want to hang out with that guy exactly yeah and so that's sort of what that's sort of where it came from where i was like i like the idea of making people laugh too maybe i can try to cultivate that skill that's awesome so that the stand-up started in college yeah i suppose but even maybe that was when i got really into it and i think that's when i wanted to do comedy and i was still very much learning i was very like the magic was starting to get original yeah. in college, the comedy was super hacky, <laughs> and um, it took me a little while to develop that side, and I still am. Like I don't identify myself as a stand-up. Uh, there's my show has stand-up in it, and it's certainly a funny show, and everyone bills me that way. But I don't want to be like, yes, I'm a stand-up comedian. I feel like I'm a magician who also does a show that's that happens to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. So some of your influences were like Ricky Jay and Penn and Teller. Definitely. Do you have like do you like like Steve Martin too? And... Yeah, I love Steve Martin. Although for some reason I didn't even I, I I missed the boat a little bit early on. Like it took me a little while uh, to get be- before I even like heard his albums. And then of course as soon as I heard them, I was like, oh, this is this guy's the best. <laughs> but early on, like I remember my first comedic influence uh, was George Carlin. Oh wow! A friend of mine had brain droppings when we were very young so great yeah i distinctly remember him trying to read this passage from it about buying a frozen mexican dinner (laughs) do you remember that it's like why would a frozen mexican want food you think he would just want to warm up and my friend who's like a childhood and to this day best friend uh was like couldn't get the words out we were both (laughs) laughing so hard and he couldn't even get it through and i was like oh my god so i (laughs) immediately read that and 
didn't even realize that the comedy could be like that. Yeah, that whole book is like, and for him, it's just the stuff that he threw out. I know, and it's like brilliant stuff. That oh, he was just he was just great. Inhuman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I read that you worked in a magic shop when you were like sixteen. Definitely. And is that where you sort of realized you're like, oh, I can maybe because you're performing for people who are coming in the store, right? Yeah. So is that where you kind of realized you're like, oh, I think I can like make this turn this into like a living? It wasn't. It wasn't yet at that point. Okay. For that was my education as far as material goes, because when you work in a magic shop and there's not a lot of these places left, most of them all closed, and you can buy magic tricks online. It's not as good though. Yeah. Because you can't walk in <laughs> and see true. like a weird old dude twirling a mustache, <laughs> and because that guy is gonna drop some knowledge on you that'll make your brain hurt, you know? Yeah. So I I was there working in that shop as a kid. It was called Theophilus. This was in Theophilus. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. And I, all I needed to do was learn every trick in the book. Like, literally. Yeah. Like, we sold all these tricks. There's all these books, all of these videos. And I would demonstrate tricks. And so I had to learn as much as I could. That's so cool. It's like the ultimate education. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the best. It was like you were dropped into this position where also there were some, like, fairly experienced magicians. You know, all of the pros of the area would come in and buy books and wow. get their stuff there. Yeah. So to them, I was like, who is this kid? So I had to learn to impressed these guys because these are some of the people who I wanted to learn from also. Who are some of the guys who would come in and buy stuff from you guys? Very good question. Everything from just random weirdos (laughs) to the best magicians in the area. And one was named Mark Bond. He's still one of my earliest influences. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. But he he was like he was like the guy. He was like the god in that in that area for sleight of hand. And he was very funny too. That's amazing. So he'd come in and hang out, and then eventually I became friends with him, and he started teaching me. But even before that, a man by the name of Tim Catlett, who is one of my earliest friends, took me under his wing and started teaching me magic. He was like my first magic teacher, I guess you could say. That's so cool. There's like an apprenticeship, and you just learn from these totally masters. That's so awesome. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's funny because you when you first meet someone and you're like interested in magic, most magicians are pretty closed off. They don't want to share their tricks because most people who say, hey, teach me a magic trick, they just want to know how it's done. Right. And they, they actually don't. They think they want to know how it's done, but they don't. Because <laughs> once they once they learn how it's done, then all of the magic is gone. Right. You know? it's really, all of the yeah. wonder is gone. Right. But if there's someone who actually wants to learn because they're interested in the craft, then that's a different story. And so I had to show some of these guys that I was committed to it. Totally, yeah. Lots of rituals, a lot of goat's blood. <laughs> Some of that's not true. It's very fraternity-like. And... Oh, very much so. Yeah, just magic hazing. Hazing all the time. How many bunnies can you eat? <laughs> not a good situation. Um, you're also a great pickpocket, too. Thank you. I mean, how, does, how do you... I can't even imagine, like, how do you learn that, like, without getting in loads of trouble? <laughs> well, you get into loads of trouble. <laughs> how mean, does it start? I mean, is it something that you sort of already like have an ability where like oh i think i can do this or do you have to practice a lot both and and like comedy that's a skill that i feel like i'm still developing that i'm still getting better at um that i still have areas to grow in i mean it's it's a it came from magic it came from misdirection for me i mean there there are people who like kind of grew up in that darker world a little bit and maybe mm-hmm. learned it that way but for me it was like oh this is this is like magic this is like sleight of hand and it uses misdirection and how cool is that because i always like magic that happens to people like if something appears in your pocket it it feels more invasive and wait a minute no, yeah, go ahead check 
For real? No, I haven't done anything yet. We just sat down. Give me a moment. There, there was one episode of Magic Outlaws where you guys were at, um, what was the name, the Pepper Mill? Oh, yeah, in Vegas. And you did this amazing trick where you just walked up to a table and you asked the guy his name and he got up and you gave him tickets to come to your, see your show. Yeah. And then you asked him, like, where was his credit card? And he said it was in his back wallet. And then he writes his name on the tickets. You light it on fire, and it instantly turns into his credit card. And then you ask him to, like, reach back to his wallet. And when he opens his wallet, where his credit card was are the tickets. And it's just, like, mind-blowing. I watched it, like, ten times. And you don't even touch the guy once. And I'm just like, how the hell did you do that? Thanks, man. It's brilliant. It's so cool. Thank you. Well, if if any of your listeners want to see that, I just uploaded some, like, I think the links are semi-hidden. They're they're out there. You can find them. If you go to, uh, oh, what is it? YouTube.com slash The Comedy and Magic. Same with Facebook. That's me, The Comedy and Magic. But that link is up there. And that is definitely... I'm definitely going to post that. I mean, that is oh, thanks, man. the coolest thing I've ever seen. Thank you. Well, that is definitely a pickpocketing stunt. Yeah. Like 100%. It uses a little magic in there with the fire and the transformation that uses sleight of hand, but it's totally a pickpocketing stunt because I had to take the wallet and replace it with the ticket. So, and you're doing this in front of like six of his, you know, buddies. Yes. So it's like and a camera. Like I was like, oh, if I rewind it, I'll see the exact part, and I still couldn't catch it. I was like, this is amazing. Thanks, man. Well, that was stressful. We only had one take to shoot that. My God, that's one, maybe two. I, I, yeah, I think we only did one take on that one. It was pretty scary, and that that's like definitely. The adrenaline was was very high. I know, that. yeah, you got to keep it cool. <laughs> totally, because you know when you're shooting a t- when you're shooting a TV show, especially in reality, you have limited time. You have limited budget, limited time. So it was just like, all right, go in, scope out, try to find a table of people who look cool, find a dude whose pants aren't too tight, and let's give this a shot. Wow, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I was talking to Brian Gillis, and he's he's really great at taking watches. Yeah, Brian's fantastic. At yeah, that. and he would tell me he's like, I know how every watch is, you know, made. Because I know how to open all of them. Like, mm-hmm. It could be like a plastic band. It could be a Rolex or whatever. Do you, do you have to know like the types of pockets or like yeah? The, the more you know, the better. And also, sometimes you take chances because you don't, you can't see. With a watch, you can at least see it. You right. can look at the buckle and go, okay, I think I know. And I think I know what category that goes into. Yeah, I can. I could also tell how tight it is. But with wallets, you might not know how deep the pocket. You know, there's a lot that uh, you're kind of thinking on your feet all of the time when you're doing that stuff but uh but that what that's what makes it exciting i'm really drawn to material that's risky for better or for worse maybe it's not the best decision for my career because it means that everything can go awry at any second (laughs) but that's one of the cool things about the show is that um you know when i do there's a pickpocketing stunt that i do in my stage show and the revelation happens um by my command but it could be seen earlier and although it'd still be amazing it would lose all of its impact. And right. all that has to happen is the guy I'm working with has to turn and face me a little bit too much. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, so it's... And it's all in the balance. But I love material like that. I think that's why I was attracted to pickpocketing because I don't want a trick box where you put a coin in, you open it up, the coin's gone because the box does the work. I want something where I'm like, where the adrenaline is high, where I'm really present and focused. And it could go wrong because then the audience gets a unique experience. And it's, I feel like it's so great because it's, I mean, you do a lot of tricks where they appeal because there's this horrible thing where I feel like adults are like, when they see the coin in the box trick and they're like, oh, that, there's probably something there. 
and most adults i feel are dismissive of magic which is horrible but when you actually like are having interaction with them and it's a lot of the magic that i've seen you do it's just like it blows away every audience from like five years old to like 95 it's just amazing thanks man well i really feel like most people i I firmly believe most people who say or think they don't like magic they just haven't seen good magic the right kind exactly yeah. yeah because like there's plenty of there's plenty of like comedy if you only went and saw um like if you only went to a bad open mic and saw racist comedians yeah. and that was your only exposure you'd be like well comedy sucks exactly i'm not into that or you know or like anything so the the problem with that is because there's a lot of there's not not too many people who make their livings as magicians and who, who perform at like a high level um there's plenty of people out there who do and there's plenty of people who don't make their full living but who are very good mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of hobbyists so people hear magic and go oh yeah my uncle does I know what that is. Right, yeah. So I think um, I think most of the time, if someone has the opportunity to see good magic that's well-designed and original, they will they will actually realize that. It blows magic. you away, yeah, when you've never seen anything like that before. It's absolutely incredible. And to go back a little bit, did you study theater in college? I did, yeah. I have a degree in theater. Is acting something that you want to pursue more of? or? Yeah, yeah, I miss it. I mean, I... There was three things that I was really into growing up. One was magic, one was acting, and another was playing music. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I would love to make my living doing something that I love. All three of these things are insane. <laughs> None of these things are like easy jobs. I have to focus on one. Yeah. And magic is what I was most drawn to mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And I think I felt that I was the most creative with it. So I pursued that. But I do still, uh, I do miss acting and hope to hope to do more of it and that was part of the move to LA when Magic Outlaws the the travel channel show happened it seemed like the right move to come out here and also um the idea of acting more sounds sounds cool because I do miss it but you're quadruple road, threat you oh, got <laughs> thanks thanks you should see me dance not so you got dancing too. <laughs> no not at all <laughs> well and did you go to school in Las Vegas I did my first my first three years at Eau Claire in Wisconsin. Okay. In northern Wisconsin. Uh, really cool, small town. Actually, a really good, interesting vibe. And I was out there doing theater. Did my last year at UNLV in Las Vegas. Okay. Because I read that you, I don't know if it was during college or right after, but you got to work with Chris Angel's Mind Freak show. Yeah. And you're yeah. like a consultant and writer for that show. I was. When I was in college, here's how that happened. When I moved out to Vegas, I moved there specifically because I knew that that's where a lot of really good magic was. A lot of the really great underground sleight of hand guys live out there. Yeah. So I moved out to Vegas doing one last year of school, and I had this sort of creative explosion where, um, I was I was pretty good at magic before I moved out there, but I got out there and I saw the level that people were at i saw how original people were i saw how good people were and i was like oh my god and it just sort of gave me the motivation to the motivation and inspiration to really work and so i came up with this trick which is still to this day um I, it's it's one of my it's one of my best creations it's still in my show it's which the one is- oldest trick it's the one where it's a pickpocketing stunt where i steal steal someone's money and I safety pin it to them without oh, yeah. them knowing. That's a great one. You've seen me do it at Comedy Magic, yeah. right? Could you explain it maybe for the people listening? I'll definitely post a video too. Yeah, so how I, it works. Essentially I I um 
essentially someone takes a bill out of their wallet, writes their name on it so they can verify it when they see it again. They seal it in an envelope. They put it in their pocket. We put a paper clip in their pocket, a safety pin their pocket shut as a way of preventing pickpockets. It's this little gambit. <laughs> and I say in a moment, I'm going to steal all of these things from you. I've already done it. It's instant. It's like the guy doesn't even know it happened. It's amazing. They look down. The safety pin's gone. I've ripped open the envelope. The bill is gone. And then I say to everyone, and I've safety pinned your money to you without you feeling me do it, turn around. And then they turn around and face the other way, and it's safety pinned to the back of their <laughs> shirt. And that's what I was talking about. If the guy turns and faces me during the oh, routine, right. it'll still be amazing because people see bit. it. But yeah, it will take away the impact of it because it's better if I set it up. Because if I say that, I yeah. safety pinned it to you, I pause in the audience. You just hear people go, no way. No way. <laughs> And then they turn around and it gets the big punch. Um, so I just come up with that. I just developed that effect. And I was introduced to Chris Angel. Um, he was looking for material for his show at the time. Yeah. Uh, he was famous, but not hugely famous. This was still kind of early on. And um, and since it's something that I'd created, he saw it, immediately saw that it was original, liked the style, asked to do it on his show, and we struck up a deal. And, um, and so I came in and consulted for him, like sort of worked with him on the effect because I'd come up with it. We shot it. We ended up shooting it in two different locations. And then while I was there, um, this is this is my last year of school. I had one more semester left eventually. And I knew that I needed a upper level credit. And my <laughs> advisor's like, yeah, it could be anything. It could be another theater class. It could be an internship. And I said, hold up one second. <laughs> and I texted Chris and was like, hey, man, um, I'm still in school. If you sign a paper saying I'm working for you, I'll work for you for free. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I'll consult for you for free. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. So for the last last uh, semester of school, I was working on that show as a consultant, helping out, working with them. And then when I graduated from college, I finished school, was ready to be a full-time magician, had no prospects. Had no shows lined up. Oh, wow. Was I was still pretty green as a performer. I didn't yeah. know what I was going to do. I was like, had maybe three months of sheer panic. And then out of nowhere, Banachek, who is Chris Angel's magic producer and a really wonderful guy, called me and said, hey, we're putting together the team. We're going to have a small creative team next season. Are you, are you interested? We talked about you. I came in and then I started working full time in that show. That's so cool. And yeah. you, so when you give your trick to Chris Angel to do... That's your signature trick, right? Yeah. How does that like play off? Like, it's a very interesting thing. The business side of magic. Yeah, well, it, it can be different things. It's like in Do some magicians ways, share a lot of their... Sometimes, Yeah. depending on what it is. Okay. Um, in that situation, it was like a, it was like a writer's room. Okay. So imagine, um, imagine like uh, people, you know, writing jokes for a late night host or something. Right. That's what it was. It was me and a, a small handful. There's like uh, four of us um, who were who doing like the close up magic and then also a couple other people who are designing big, like the big illusions. That's amazing. And then there was crossover. We would each work on, on things together. But wow. then when it came to like the effect, he bought the effect and... Um, and the the agreement was always I can still perform this effect because I I was not going to give that up. I always wanted it to be mine That's, as well. Like, how do you even? How long does it take to develop an effect like that? A very long time, usually. Like, what's the? I can't even imagine the thinking process. We're like, oh, I think I can 
add something to this and turn it around and make it your own trick or it totally depends i mean that that safety pin effect actually that was an idea and then two late two days later i was ready to do it wow i came up with the idea and i was like these are the steps to get me there boom i'm ready to go now i just have to work on it i just have to practice on the other hand the thing that i'm closing with in my hour-long show took me two and a half years to develop which one's that and you haven't seen it yet it's um it's where I force a coincidence into existence. And these multiple coincidences <laughs> happen throughout the show that are all tied together that culminate in free information um, being uh, previously determined. Oh, my gosh. It's very... I, I want you to see it instead of that's, describing it to you. That's crazy. Yeah. I love your other uh, effect you do, the eye vanish. Oh, thanks. And you invented that one, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I published. I published a couple of tricks that I invented... Um, and publishing in magic is where you come up with an idea it's original you put it out so that other magicians can buy that book or buy that video which teaches the instructions or in some cases for some people buy a mechanical prop okay um, and uh, so that other people can do the effect as well and that was that was the first that was the first effect that I've ever published I put out a very small handful and then in um, at the end of 2010 I put out a, a sleight of hand coin vanish that uh, is really deceptive and really cool. And then since then, I haven't put anything out. I've got a huge collection of material. Some of it I've even filmed to possibly release. But um, right now, I've made the decision not to not to release material for personal reasons, at least for the time being. Okay, yeah. I love the eye vanish because, like, I think the basic version is a half dollar or yeah. a quarter that you can just, like push into your eyeball uh-huh. and then just make it disappear and you can't even see it that's where it started yeah and then i saw another version you did with a, a shard of glass yeah. and a beer bottle and that one has so many like steps to it because you crush the beer bottle and then you take the shard and then you make the beer bottle come back and then it's missing a shard that's the exact same shape as the one that comes back from your eye wow you did your research <laughs> i love this trick it's so amazing Thanks, i've never man. seen anything like it and then you bottle it you cap it somehow and i still don't know how that's possible that that is another one of the things that i came up with that i'm really proud of Um, that's such a great and like my question is because it has so many steps to it mm -hmm. does it start as something simple where you're like i'm just gonna start with the glass and it's gonna fit in the bottle and then do you add the cap and the beer coming back to it and all that or does it all come at once for you that one was actually really interesting where it happened really logically I thought, okay, I have the I have this idea where I can make something disappear into my face. That's the original <laughs> idea, right? And then I was like, okay, so what would be what would be an attention getting thing to put in my face? A piece of broken glass. Oh, that'd be a terrible <laughs> idea. People will watch that. That'd be good for a TV show. And I can't even like watch somebody take their contacts out. I like, can barely put my contacts in and out. It's the grossest thing, but it's it's such a great trick. Like it. Thanks. It's completely mind blowing. Well, it's not. I'm not actually putting the glass in my eye, but it does look very real. Yeah. And it does get very close to my eye. I was very, I was nervous doing that, and I still don't do it. I still don't do that effect very often for that reason. But it happened logically. So first, I was like, okay, I need broken glass, so I have to break glass right. i'll break a bottle we'll do it in a bar perfect easy okay great so what can i do after that now i've got a piece of glass in my face but wait i've got a broken bottle what if i could put the pieces of the bottle back together <laughs> so that was the next step okay it's like okay let's put the pieces of the bottle back together but wait a second if i put a piece of glass in my face and i put the bottle back together then of course that piece would be missing so then i would take that piece out of my eye and then i would want to 
I'd want to put that piece back onto the bottle and heal it up so that it was just like a, a you know, so it didn't have a hole in it. So right. there's no broken glass. But once I do that, I've got an empty beer bottle. If we were really going back to the beginning, I would want to fill it up. And so all of the steps happen very logically one after another. And then, of course, solving those problems and making it happen. Now, that was a completely, <laughs> a completely different story. But that process was um, from the point that I was cast in that show to the point we filmed that. It was a month and a half. Oh, my gosh. And that effect was just the first idea. So in just over a month, that entire thing came together. That's so, I mean, I imagine that's very fast. Nine hours a, a day, like though. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so much work, yeah. Yeah. But that's incredible. Thanks, man. And what a great, like, bar trick to just pull out at any time. Oh, yeah. Sometimes people will just, like, walk out. Like, <laughs> people have eye things, you know, where they really, like, are bothered by someone touching their eye. If you pe- just if you just hold a piece of broken glass towards your eye, some percentage of people just walk out. Just they walk just out. don't want to deal with it. And, like, you do that on the show in front of, like, six people, and they're, like, not even three feet away from you. Do you do that in front of... I was just going to... My next question was, you perform for, like, you know, large colleges and in Vegas. Do you prefer, like, the table side audience more, or do you like the large, like, 2,000-seat Good question. There is a sweet spot in the middle that I find really fun. So right now, a group between, like, 200 and 300 is, like, my favorite. And why is that? Because it's still big enough where it feels like it's a proper show, but it's still intimate enough that I can do the type of material that I really enjoy, which is like close-up magic on stage. And 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 it still feels intimate. Because back a certain way, you know, you get far enough back in an audience and you can kind of see stuff, but it's just not as good. Right, yeah. And since I'm not sawing people in half and making <laughs> girls appear... You know, you really want to be as close as you can. So even when I do perform in like some big theaters, I do, I perform on some cruise ships sometimes. If I'm performing in a cruise ship audience, which is oftentimes a thousand people or more, they will do some video projections Okay. to make it a like little... a close up view. Yeah, exactly. But, but I prefer like right now, like 200, 250 people. That's a great sweet spot. That's awesome. That's one of the reasons why Comedy Magic Club is like the best the perfect, comedy club in yeah. the world. <laughs> I always ask, yeah, comics, like, what do they prefer? And I was talking to, like, Ian Bag, and he said colleges, you know, it's so hard to do. Like, he doesn't really prefer them because it's just too big or, you know, it's a different group of kids. And do you have, like, a certain audience that you like performing for? Or just magic? That's, well... Pretty universal. That's a good question. That's a good question. And you can... What most comics, I feel like, have more trouble with is you can probably perform anywhere in the world. With no difficulty, I'd imagine. With some difficulty. There are magic acts who perform like silent to music and that can cross all, you know, all language barriers. For me, English speaking is pretty important. Like you can watch my show. I I did a run of shows at the Magic Castle this past week. I hope we didn't. I just dated the podcast. Now everyone knows I recorded it. It's totally good. Um, But I did this run of shows and there are a couple times in the audience there were people who were translating it to people who didn't speak English, which is kind of cool and hella distracting. (laughs) But for me, I like, I mean, any audience that speaks English, that's important for me just because I I would love to speak other languages. I just can't. And uh, I barely can speak English. (laughs) And uh, so I can perform in other places like Stockholm, Sweden was great 
everyone's really fluent in English. That was perfect. I did some shows in Macau, China with my buddy oh, Marcus wow. Monroe, who's a great juggler. Yeah. He's super funny. I don't know if he performed at comedy. In I think I've seen him, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He I grew up with that kid and he's unbelievable. Nice. He's so funny. He juggling you can he could make that fly a little bit more, but for me doing magic silent, it was it was outside of my comfort zone a bit. Yeah. Um so so Yeah, I you'd can, lose all the jokes like the great jokes on the jokes i just ended up being cartoony which is (laughs) i just like turned into turn into a clown which is not what i prefer (laughs) but the chinese people in macau loved it really that's so cool i mean they're i think they were just excited that i was white (laughs) i think that was what most of the excitement came from and macau is pretty much vegas right it's vegas but in asia okay yeah (laughs) that's right that was a super trip though because um you're getting everything from multi-billionaires to people who have who like work in sweatshops and this is their oh like they gosh. get two days off a year and, and so a bunch they of go them to got and they went to macau yeah oh my god so i crazy. definitely had people in my audience who not only hadn't did like had never seen a magician live like probably had never 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 seen magic on tv never seen magic live and i think those guys were just like what what is going on <laughs> and to anyone who's traveled in that area you'll know that sometimes people will take pictures with you. And I just thought, oh, wow, these are fans of the show. And then there's one day where I took, like, pictures for 45 minutes after my show. And I realized at a certain point some of the people just hadn't seen my show. There was just, like, I was just, like, a white kid. And they wanted to take pictures. And they were excited about that. And, like, other people were. So they're like, oh, this guy must be... Other people were taking pictures with him. We should too. <laughs> and that was very awkward and hilarious. That's so funny. Um, I was going to say, when you see like a comic, sometimes they're trying out like a new joke. You might see them like bail on a joke. And if it doesn't, they mess it up a little bit. For magic, I've never seen a magician like mess up or anything like that. But is there, has there ever been a time where you just like weren't ready yet and you, or something went wrong in the middle of it? Yeah. Set? Yeah, definitely. And like, what do you, how do you, rebound from well oftentimes you don't have to at least for me a lot of my things are kind of like choose your own adventures where if something doesn't work in the way i want it to i will still bring bring forth the climax that works in the context of the show okay so the audience won't know okay that's the ideal situation yeah is that you just start tap dancing <laughs> until <laughs> until you get to another ending and people don't know um i do things crash and burn occasionally? Yeah, it can totally happen. And like, totally what is that happens. like? Um, I've never, I've just never seen it happen before. Like, yeah, I've seen, I haven't had any. Do you have to like, like a comic, if you like, you mess up, you might bring another, a stronger joke to like rebound from that. Do you just go straight for like a bigger effect or something after? Or? Yeah. I mean, it's only. There are a couple things that I do where I could get caught by the person on stage. There's a couple things I do that are designed so that the audience sees how a trick works, but the person on mm-hmm. stage doesn't, okay. which creates this really cool dynamic. Yeah. But occasionally, uh, if you've seen... There's was, there was someone who I brought on stage to do this effect, which is like a classic... My spin on a classic effect, uh, strongly, heavily influenced by one of my magic mentors named Armando Lucero. Oh. Really, really incredible yeah. hand artist. One of the best. And... Um, and so the person is on stage and everyone else in the audience can see what's happening. He can't, but then immediately catches me and I hadn't gotten caught in a long time doing it. And then he was like, 
yeah, dude, I saw you do this online. It was really cool. <laughs> so he had already seen me do it. And I was like, oh, well, that, that went cheating. the crapper right away. Yeah. <laughs> but with that, um, with that, it was, um, it was what it was. And I moved on and did something else that was stronger after. That's so funny that he, he did his research before he came yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, he I raised know. his hand to do a trick here. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got to start writing new shit. No. <laughs> um, and like a comic, I feel like you you can think of a joke and then go try it out that night at a club. Have you ever um, done it or thought of a trick and then done it that night? Uh, it... Yes. Yes, that has happened. Um, and uh, it's happened with some success and also some sometimes I've done that and gone like, okay, that I definitely need to work on that yeah. much more. Like, you know, the idea, like a comic going up with a notebook and just trying out an idea right, that's right. not thought out. Sometimes it'll hit, sometimes it won't. Same thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then some of the times you said it takes like a couple days or months. What's the longest uh, effect that you've... Yeah, the longest one is this thing I'm closing with. It took two and a half years um, from the time that I started with the idea to the point where I finished the effect. That's so crazy. I got to see this one. Yeah, man. What's the name of it? Does it have a... Uh, I... It doesn't have a name. Doesn't yet. have a name yet. No. Okay, I'm really excited to see that one. I'm really fascinated by the idea of creating coincidences. That's a theme in my show, and the idea of fate, and whether or not, whether or not fate is real, whether or not it matters. Like if it means something to someone, does it have to be real? Just addressing that, and then the idea of forcing fate into existence, creating an impossible coincidence. That's awesome. That's an that's an, a concept that I've been playing with. For and a is while. it for the whole audience, or do you do it with individuals who come up? Or I do it with people in the audience. Okay. So I, I throw something out into the audience to make sure that it's random. Yeah. They throw it around, so we get a random selection of people to give me information, and I try to, to force a coincidence with that information. That's so cool. And is that hard on your part? Yeah, to... very. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say, like, that sounds very difficult. Yeah, the last show I did, actually. Um... And you're also doing a, another thing on this. It's like doing two completely different things at the same time. Definitely. Definitely. The last, the last show I did on my last night performing at this nightclub in Hollywood, um, one of one of the thing, one of the pieces of information was very close, but it wasn't the right one. Oh. Um, and someone who had seen my show, who's a who's a really great musician, who I look look up to in a creative sense, he had seen me earlier in the week, and then he saw the show where it didn't work all the way, and he came up. Interestingly enough, afterwards when we were hanging out, and said, "I liked it better because now I realized that it could go wrong." <laughs> That's such a like strange thing. It's such say. a strange thing, but it makes perfect sense. Right, yeah. Because it's um you know, it's not like this this it's not like a You appreciate how much you're putting into it to to see it totally. You know, if you miss I mean, it must have many different stages to it. So if one, you know, doesn't work, like you said, it was too close to the are is that okay? It doesn't affect the whole conclusion uh, of it or it affected the conclusion enough that it made me cringe a little bit <laughs> but not so much that the ending wasn't still devastating so and i mean that in a good way yeah um it, it still it still was very very strong even though it was like almost finishing a puzzle wow <laughs> there's a little piece of satisfaction one, that's missing yeah. <laughs> but it still looks pretty cool that's so cool yeah i gotta see that one and Magic, I've I've heard you say before in another interview where you said like magic, there's really only like ten different variations. You can make something like disappear, or something float, or like mind read, or something like that. Yeah. 
so there's all these like basics and fundamentals rooted in magic and do you sort of take older ideas and then completely evolutionize them into like some new yeah yeah 100 percent. because yeah like like can a, I said, can a magician like create something 100 percent totally unique or are they all sort of rooted into uh that's a, that's a good question well if you keep if you stick with that rule there's only so many ways you can violate the laws of physics right and the laws of the earth as we know them yeah um so so you have that sort of restriction um but with that in mind you can i mean there's some really amazing people out there doing really original things that um even though even though the idea might be based in something that's old it feels so completely new so completely different that it feels purely original it's kind of like music, I guess, like where, you know, some people sound like they've been influenced by the Beatles or Zeppelin or whatever. So everybody's got something yeah. rooted in something else. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. 100%. It, it, that's a, a very good comparison, actually. I'm just always like, interested in how, you know, you develop a trick, you know, from the ground up. There's so many different aspects involved in it. Yeah. And with magic, I actually feel like you... Um, there's plenty of people who are given credit for being original with ideas that are still very derivative Mm -hmm. because a slight variation can be considered original and uh and should be in some cases like sometimes a small variation on something will make all of the difference and really be a game changer for how a piece of magic looks and feels but at the same time also there are only a handful of people out there who really do things that look and feel so different consistently like one of the reasons I love Penn and Teller, very, very original. Um, when they take a classic and twist it, mm-hmm. they twist it so much that it feels so new that it's just brilliant and breathtaking. Um, great, yeah. There's like a handful of people out there and the guys that I respect and look up to. And then, you know, I'm lucky enough to have some of them as my friends. Uh, th- there are those things happening in the industry. Um, but then there's also like a, a lesser level where it's like you take a classic card trick you put your own spin on it. You add your own personality, and you as a performer shines through so much that you're doing an original performance piece with an old piece of magic, which is also totally rad. That's so cool. Yeah, there's so many different things like that you can add to it. And the jokes, do those come much later after you've performed it, or do they sort of go hand in hand? Do you like when you're developing the effect? Do you go, oh, I, I got a great joke that I could in right here usually it comes separately for me okay usually it's one or the other i will think of a joke and it will become a part of something naturally or i'll find a lull during a magic trick where there's a lot of process needed Mm. to get somewhere yeah and i'll say oh this needs this needs to be punched up somehow and i'll just kind of uh try to write something or look back on my on what i've written in the past and say what would work in this spot um but um but what I'm trying to do now more so is create things that are a little more narrative based and as opposed to just having a funny moment like a one liner right. to punch something up actually works thematically with the moment of the show, which is which is much harder. And yeah. I'm working on it. That's a lot of writing, I'd imagine. Totally. You have to do it. Yeah, it's so cool. And some of it doesn't work. Sometimes I come up with an idea for an effect that I'm excited about and I can't solve the problem. Like there's something in oh, particular wow that I've been thinking about for the past like six years and I haven't cracked it yet. Yeah. And maybe I will and maybe I won't, but I'm going to keep trying. That's so cool. Yeah. I think 
the one guy who bases his magic off of jokes might be amazing jonathan yes it's just like oh i got a great joke how can i squeeze some magic in there too? totally which is awesome <laughs> and one great, of the reasons yeah. why he's one of the best comedy magicians in history like did you get to work alongside him while you were in vegas at the mandalay bay or? yeah i didn't so i we've met a handful of times we've um we're not very close friends. We know who each other are. I, I mean, I know who he is. Mm-hmm. He knows who I am a little bit. Yeah. Um, he was hanging out with Chris Angel a bit when I was working on that show. So he would be around and we'd hang and we'd talk. Um, but he's not like a close personal friend. Um, but he is someone who, who I've always looked up to. Yeah. Um, he is he's phenomenal. I love all those um, Vegas guys like Matt King too. And yeah, I grew up Matt's watching all those great. guys. They're so funny. And Matt's great. great. When I saw, so early on, my first big influences were, I saw Ricky Jane is 52 assistants. Mm-hmm. There's bits of it on YouTube. Totally worth seeing. He's the man. Um, and then there was Penn and Teller, Mac King, and then David Williamson, who you might not I, know. I think I've heard of him. If you've heard of him, yeah. he's, I mean, I, he's one of the best. Still to this day, was he on no that? There was a show in the early '90s. It was like the world's greatest magic or something like that. Yeah. Was he on that? Yeah, I think I remember. I used to watch that show like religiously every time it came on. We might have seen him on the same thing. Oh wow! Because I saw that when I was young, and it just completely blew my mind. I was gonna say like, what did you? What was on TV when you were growing up? Did you watch like Carson or did you see like Letterman? Because I mean, not so many people have magicians on anymore. I feel like, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Most of the magic I saw was just from the occasional television special. And it was the world's greatest magic show too. That was one of them. There was another one. Actually, the one that I saw was something about. It had Houdini in the title. I really should look Dude. it up. But it had uh, Penn and Teller, Mac King, David Williamson, all those guys on it. And then I later saw a a, a TV special that Penn and Teller did. Of their own stuff, which is those were the best shows. I don't know why they don't have them anymore. That's like the best part of TV when I was a kid. I agree completely. (laughs) I love that stuff so much. Tell me about your TV show. Um, Are we going to see more episodes of it hopefully soon? Or I think that that was a great show too. I I think we we would like to do more episodes. It came at a time with some like for political reasons where uh, I, I think kind of like hinged against us like david minkin and chris corn and all you guys oh or not us the like three of the... the three magicians in the show me corn and minkin are still corn's one of my closest friends okay, david good. i don't see as much <laughs> but we just hung out recently um no we're, the three of us are totally cool but there was the uh the individual who had originally wanted the conception of our show mm-hmm. at that channel i think he either I believe he left and went to a different channel. Oh. And when that happens, a new development person comes in and oftentimes will bring their own things and kind of oh. can some of the things that are in the in production. It was such a great, I feel like, premise for a show. Thanks. Well, I... Do you, do you plan on doing some more TV stuff maybe down the line? Or? I, I certainly hope so. Yeah. That is the goal. I just want to make sure I do it right. I've gotten a bunch of offers to be a part of some existing magic shows, and I've said no because I don't feel that the concept is something that's good for magic and i try to ask myself not just what is good for me but what is good for magic because magic has given me so much right and so in my opinion uh i really don't want to talk smack right now (laughs) there's some shows out there right now that involve magic that uh i don't think are that good yeah and so next time i do tv i want to make sure it's good I, yeah, I hope you bring a lot of good magic back to TV because 
I miss it. They don't. There's not that many good shows anymore. Well, I will certainly try. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you for your vote of confidence. <laughs> I feel like you'd be great on Fallon too, or like Conan, or. Will you please tell them about do me? those? Yeah. Why don't those guys bring magicians all the time? I don't know. What's wrong with them? I don't know. Let's let's send a couple of angry emails. I know. Yeah. Does does help? magic? Do you find? Uh, does it translate well into TV? Like for your show. Was there any things that you'd have to like switch up or? Definitely, I the things that you saw on Magic Outlaws are designed. They they are they're all things that are based off of things I do in my live show, but changed around specifically for TV. Okay. Because a lot of magic relies on misdirection, right? Di- or rather, directing your audience's attention, and you can't really misdirect the eye of a camera because you can just rewind. Yeah, exactly. I just dated myself there. You can just <laughs> take the bar on YouTube and drag it backwards. <laughs> and if you watch a magic trick multiple times, eventually you can start picking up on something and some tricks that'll not have... yours. I've done it. I'm trying to figure them out. I still can't figure them out. Well, thank you. I took, I took those pieces in my live show and I tried to adapt them for TV to try to clean up those moments so that even if you watched it again and again and again, you wouldn't understand how they work. So that was my goal with designing magic for TV and that's why it's really hard to just put magic on TV yeah. because if you just take what could be a great piece of magic and you put it on TV, if it's watched multiple times, it exactly could, yeah it could just completely fall down like a house of cards so things have to be like adapted and changed to fit the to fit the medium essentially what i liked about your show is like well because like the greatest uh magician show when we used to watch it, it used to be in front of like large audiences yeah but yours was you know just like four or five people and it was you know it's just like on the street and uh, i thought that was really cool and new and thanks well that i mean the credit the credit for that genre of magic certainly goes to Blaine and his people. David Blaine was the first person to, I mean, he essentially invented that genre of street magic. Um, And what I like about it specifically is that it is bringing close up magic into the eye of the public. So when he did that, it's been, it's been years now, however many years back, he sort of opened up that door. And Chris um, Angel did that too, I think. Totally, totally. And so like those, um, that concept certainly came before all the time and watch that show oh really (laughs) yeah awesome what were some of the tricks that you like did for his show just to go back so many see if i remember any of them oh so many i mean i mean part of it part of it was that there's a handful of things in that show which were my creation entirely Mm. and then many more things that i worked on and had pieces okay of and had i contributed ideas that ultimately led to the final product yeah but I wouldn't say, oh, that was my effect. It was something that was created by a group. uh, Yeah. Created in the writer's room. Um, One of the things that I brought to the table, which became not my own because other people contributed to help make the method better, but an idea that I brought to the table that was um, certainly inspired by Tim Catlett, who was my first magic mentor Mm. early on, um, was this thing where uh, Chris was in a valet and he had someone pull up an Escalade and back it up far away from him and then the car the escalade drives the driver drives at him very fast like accelerates going towards him and chris holds up this cloth right as the car hits him and the car screeches to a stop and then the driver's door opens and chris is driving the car i remember that yeah yeah wow that was and most of my contributions were close-up magic, but that was a bigger effect. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah. That was a great way. I totally remember that one now. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But then as far as the close-up magic goes, seasons uh, four I worked on full-time, three is when I was doing the internship, and then I did research and development 
for five before I ultimately left. Okay. So it spanned those seasons. You can watch specifically season four and see a lot of close-up magic that I had a hand in. Very cool. Yeah. And we talked a little bit before we started about uh, you're the only resident magician at the Mandalay Bay. Yeah. What, what was that like working there? That was an awesome experience. That I wish it had happened at a time before or after the economy got bad. Oh. I, I started working there uh, doing close-up magic mm-hmm. in, in venues like Mix and Eye Candy and then doing some private events and like private parties, VIP parties. Um, which is incredible. I was doing essentially close-up magic in these lounges and in these nightclubs. That's so cool. Um, and it was amazing. But then, but then the economy got bad. And then it hit I mean, Vegas I was, pretty hard, oh, right? Like two thousand eight so or something like that. Two thousand eight, yeah, nine. Two thousand eight. Yep. End of two thousand eight, beginning of two thousand nine. I distinctly remember one of the clubs I was working in. They would bank like something like sixty to eighty grand in a night. Or, or a weekend, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember the exact statistic, but they were just killing it. And then almost overnight, I showed up to work to do magic, and there was like maybe five people in the club. Oh, my gosh. And that's how quickly it went. Ooh. And so then, then it was time to hit the road and start doing other things, and I started just taking any show I could get. It's funny. After working on Chris's show and having that amazing credit at Mandalay Bay, I totally took a dip where I had to figure out how to make a living again because suddenly suddenly everyone no i mean no one had money to hire entertainers wow and so i had to figure i had to sort of like rebuild like a lot of people nuts yeah what was that like like just did you know that you had to go on the road and well i went to macau china okay (laughs) (laughs) that's when that happened yeah I, i just realized okay um there's no ego in this anymore all i care about is doing magic and making enough money to make a living. Yeah. And luckily I was able to do that. I I went to, I took that show in Macau. I came back. I immediately got uh, put in this burlesque show (laughs) that I was performing in, in Reno, uh, produced, that it was produced in Vegas and they did a run of it in uh, a casino at Harris Casino in Reno. And I moved to Reno for four months for that show. I ended up sticking around. Wow. uh, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I just started taking whatever gig would come my way. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And everybody can find you at bedandsignbin.com. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you have trouble spelling my last name, I'm also comedyandmagic.tv. That will take you to my website. Awesome. And do you have any shows coming up soon? Well, I just finished. I just had a whole bunch of shows in LA, but I just finished that run. Um, Right now, it's mostly like corporate and private stuff. But uh, when I do have public shows, I post it on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.